0: here and share out of his life. I know um, he's had so much stuff go on in his life and he's just such a dear man and desires to share and he has so much to give and we just pray that your words come through through him and give him peace of heart peace of mind um, and just clear thoughts and that our hearts receive and hear and listen and take it all in um, to help those that are married and those that are thinking of marriage and those that haven't even got a thought in their mind, but may be married one day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
1: All right, the reality of marriage. I'm probably the least likely person to uh, give a talk on marriage considering my history of divorce and just to give you a little background so I can come clean. I graduated from UT and. Uh, 1978 and then got my job, got my CPA license and next thing to do is get married so I took care of that too and the thing I had in common with the woman I married, we both loved to party and we were really good at it. We had a motto that we work hard and we play hard and to make a long story short, by the By the time we got divorced 10 years later, we were drinking every day, smoking dope most days, cocaine on the weekends, and by the time I got divorced, I was smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. I'll tell you that just so that you know that I've been through the wringer with this with marriage, so I don't know of hardly anything that could come up that I I haven't been exposed to, and then a year later, I married my wife, Donna, and now we've been married 30 years, but we've been through the ringer. It's, it's really been tough, blending a family. So that's the perspective that I bring to this, kind of like I've made every mistake that you can make. And this this talk was born out of my daughter coming to me saying if, I get married, how how do I know it's the right one? How can I know it's the right one? And I said, I believe you can know. I think you can go through the Bible and build a grid that if, if the person makes it through that grid, then it's just up to you, whether you are attracted and you get along or whatever you, whatever. But you gotta make sure they go through the grid. If they don't go through the grid, don't waste your time. And so she said, well, would you go over that with me? And so that's where I started putting together this um, study on marriage and relationships. And over the years, it's continued to grow. And probably we were in Bible study with her and some friends of hers for nine months on doing this. And uh, I've had guys that I've shared with this with Guy Dodson, a dear friend of ours who passed away. We probably spent a year on this and Now, we're gonna cover it here in a session this morning and a session this afternoon. So realize there's gaps, but I think we can hit some high points that hopefully would be beneficial in looking at marriage. By the way, if y'all remind me after this afternoon's session, then I have the list that I worked up for my daughter of what a, a woman should look for in a husband and what a man should look for in a wife. It's not exhaustive or anything else, it was just some points that we made and hopefully supported by scripture somewhat. I'm gonna give that out, so you all have that to take with you. And also, this talk I gave about eight years ago at, at a Navigator retreat, a lot of you were here, and so things might seem familiar, and that's because they are, It'll be good for you to go through it again from a standpoint that my goal last time was that you would take the information that we had and use it to share with people who are struggling in their marriage or maybe somebody that's getting married. Along that line, then what I did, I also have another handout for this afternoon that I'll give you. It has every scripture that we go through in here and a couple of words about what the main point was. So that then you could take this and sit down with somebody who's getting ready to get married or somebody's struggling in their marriage or somebody just wants to improve their marriage and just go through each one of those scriptures like you do in everything that we do with Navigators and go through and, hey, what does the verse say and now how does that apply to your life? And you can step through it and it'll be a good tool for you. And that's what I was hoping we'd come up with last time. And then for this, I think... I think this would be beneficial, like Kevin said, for everybody. If you're single, then probably someday you're gonna get married. If you don't get married, then you'll have perspective of your friends who are married. Okay, And and then we have married people in here and their relationships can go from very bad to very good. And hopefully going through this, it'll give you a perspective that will improve your marriage, whatever your situation is. And then there's people like me that are divorced and you're trying to figure it out and really trying to make sure you don't go through this another time. It could be helpful for you. And then there's people like me who have been remarried, who have created a blended family and they're trying to figure out what to do with that mess. So I think it can be beneficial for all of us, For but you might be able to pick and choose the things that are helpful and, like I said, hopefully you'll be able to take this and use it with somebody else in the future. Oh, yeah. And by the way, my slides, I've used the same teacher that uh, Mike Murphy did. So, we've got really high quality artistic slides here. <laughs> Marriage, I put initials on there just to kind of keep track of this. This is, I'm, I'm doing my life, diagramming out in my life, and so this is me and my first wife. But, you know, marriage it just seems so simple. You know, will you marry me? It seems like such an innocent, simple little question, but man, does it have big implications. The things that I'm gonna break this down into three different areas. But the first thing I wanna establish is that when you get married, it creates relational mess, okay? It just does in this fallen world. And then, in order to be able to deal with that relational mess, you have a godly marriage. That's what's gonna help you deal with it. If you don't have a godly marriage, it's gonna be very hard to cope with this relational mess. So really, kinda of what you double down on, on the godly marriage and you keep strengthening it, and then the rest of it takes care of itself or at least you're able to cope with it. And then in order to have a godly marriage, it's gonna be based on a godly man, and that's you. So we really wanna uh, concentrate on what you can do to be a godly man to create a godly marriage that can be able to deal with the relational mess that comes out of marriage. And so that's, that's what we're doing. Okay, so we we start out to establish what this relational mess is. Whoa, mess it creatish. That's a New King James version of this (laughs) this slide. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Old King James. (laughs) Okay, okay. Marriage, it, it, it's a simple concept, right? You just got the man and the woman and you, you're, you're marri- you get married, no big deal. But immediately, it is a big deal because of extended family. Now, I, with my first wife, I had to get to know, build a relationship with her parents and her four siblings. Now, we had 11 kids in our family. I know it's ridiculous, but we, we, now she has to build a relationship with my parents and my 10 siblings. Okay, so immediately there's extended family involved and now here's this relational whirlwind is starting to crank up. And you hear a lot of times that people say, you know, you don't just marry your spouse, you marry their family. And it's very true. It doesn't even matter if you have a good relationship or a bad relationship with the families, it's gonna impact your marriage. It just will. So now then we have a couple of kids and Now we have our relationships expand because now we're having to build relationship with our kids. And now our kids are building relationships with both of the extended family. And there you go, that's the nuclear family. That's what everybody desires to have, that you just have this nuclear family, a nice little package. But even in that, it's a mess. And one thing we know about every nuclear family, it's dysfunctional. When, I got divorced and I said, I'm gonna look in the Bible, and I'm gonna find a perfect family, a model family, and I'm gonna have that for my next time around. I went through the Bible, there is no perfect family. They're all dysfunctional. So I'm thinking, well, maybe there's something there for us that we need to realize, we're not gonna have a perfect family, that we're gonna have a dysfunctional family, just like everybody else in the Bible. So that's one thing, you know, if you see that family and say, oh, that's a perfect little family. I wish my family was like theirs. No, they're dysfunctional. So now it, it even complicates more when you get remarried, you get divorced and remarried because see, still the other people don't go away. So there's a dotted line to them. And then now Donna and I get married. Well, Donna has to build relationships with the kids from my prior marriage. And then she has to build relationship with my parents and my big old extended family. And then I have to build relationships with her family. Well, Donna comes from a blended family. So she's got uh, her, uh, her dad and her stepdad. Well, her mom had three kids with her dad. That's uh, Donna's dad. And then her mom had two kids with her stepdad. And so now, she has relationships with them and obviously, and now I have to build relationships with them. So you can see it just keeps getting more and more complicated. Well now, me and Donna have a couple of kids. Now Donna's kids, uh, me and Donna's kids have to build relationships with, the, with my kids from my prior marriage. My kids still have relationship with the ex. We both have relationships with the, our, our two kids. And now I didn't even draw it because it just keeps getting crazy. But now all those kids have lines up to these uh, uh, extended families because the extended family has relationships with every one of those kids. So you can see there's relationships everywhere, everywhere. So, and and I've seen a lot of times that when your friends get married, then you're like, oh, they just forgot about me. You know, there's no time for me. Well, you can see why. (laughs) <laughs> they're so swamped with relationships, they don't have time for anything else. At least you can understand what they're, what they're going through and have a little sympathy for them. So we know that a nuclear family is dysfunctional, a blended family is impossible. It's just impossible. There's only one place that this blended family simplifies and that's at the husband and wife. So if that husband and wife can continue to build that relationship up, then they can start to cope with all this craziness going on around them. You can see if that relationship is not strong, it's going to be disaster. But here's the good news. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Good thing. Good thing. God is a God of the impossible. He's used to the impossible, he does the impossible every day. How critical would it be for us to make sure that we have God in the middle of our lives and in our marriage in order to take care of this impossible mess? Now you look at the other side of it in John fifteen five. John fifteen five. apart from me, you can do nothing. There's the other side of it. God can do the impossible and you can do nothing again, it's showing you this is a no-brainer. Let's go all in on God and let's allow Him to help me through all this. Because outside of God, outside of Jesus, I can do nothing. Alright? The marriage relationship is the only hope for this relational mess. So we're doubling down on, on, on marriage here. Godly marriage is the key to coping with the relational mess. So the way we're gonna go about that is looking at going back to the beginning and looking at the, how things were before the fall, right? And we look at God's design for man, God's design for woman, God's design for marriage. And from that, what can we glean from that to build up our marriage relationship to deal with the relational mess, okay? So first we go back and look at the perfect man. Let's read Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Yeah, so this is a, a perfect world. This a creation before the fall. We were made in God's image. And he created us male and female. There's always, and I'm going to keep pointing out, bigger picture things that, that come up in in all this, but when, when the Bible tells us that God created man in his own image, then you know that if, if you look at how he made man, how he made woman, then that's telling us about God. We're learning a little bit about God because we're learning a little bit about ourselves. And the first thing we know here is that he made us male and female. So it, not, not one of us, not the male or the female, contains everything to build up to the to the image of God, okay, it takes both. In Genesis five one and two.
2: When God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. He created them, male and female, and blessed them. And when they were created, He called them man. See there,
1: He called them man. So the, the God's definition of man is a male and a female. Okay, that it, it takes it takes both of them when you look at the greatest things about a male, we used to say it's his strength, his intellect, his creativity, his um, boldness, his bravery, all the, anything you can think of that's good about a man, well, that's a reflection of God. That's God. But God's got that plus more perfectly and in a, the exact right balance. Okay, because we're not God. So we don't have it exactly like God, but we're in the image of that. Same thing with a female. You look at a female and you see the the greatest things about her, that she's emotional, that she's uh, loving, she's nurturing, she's caring, her gentleness, all those things. That's God, but more. And with God, he's all those things perfectly and in the exact balance needed. But at least you can start to see the, the the wonder of God by looking at the wonder of man. A, a glimpse, okay? And I'm not saying that men, men are like God. All right, Genesis 128.
2: God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every other living creature that moves on the ground.
1: Okay, so now God's teaching them this. Be fruitful and increase in number. You know, think about, think about this. You look out, man looks out, and he sees all the fish that were created and all the animals that were created and all the trees and the different varieties and bushes and just everything is just multiple and variety, but one man, just one. And God's saying he wants you to be fruitful Increase in numbers. So there's a reason for that. Why why would God do that? There's a reason for that that he's wanting man to experience what it is like to create You know when they when they're fruitful and multiply eventually they see that they're what their creation is establishing same way God creates Okay, fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it. Okay, so now he says Okay, I'm gonna give you I I rule over everything, the enormity of everything. I'm going to give you this little speck of a planet here, earth in the middle of all this creation, and you subdue it and rule over it. Okay, so now then we're getting a glimpse of God there. What it's like to subdue uh, uh, something, what it's like to rule over something. We're we're getting a glimpse of God again. Genesis 2-7.
0: The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being.
1: Okay. Why? Why? I mean, everything else, the way he created he spoke it into existence and it was good. Spoke it into existence and it was good. And then he gets to man and he's going to form him out of the dust of the ground. There's some different care. making man differently than he did anything else. And then breathes the breath of life into his nostrils why you got man who's now the, through the through the way God created him has a connection to the earth he has a connection to the physical world okay but also he breathes into the breath of life and he has a connection to the spiritual world so now man has both connection to the spiritual and physical world okay genesis 215 through 17
0: The Lord took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the
1: tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Okay, so God takes man and puts him in a garden. You know, he says, okay, you take this earth and you rule over it. Well, that's even too big. I mean, you give him... him, Man that, where do I start? So instead he gives him just a garden, just this garden right here. And he says, now you work it and take care of it. And the the man's like in this garden, he's like, okay, what's work? How do you take care of it? So what's that causing? The man has to humble himself. The man has to talk to God. The man has to be teachable. The man has to learn from God. He has to walk with God. He has to talk with God. He has a relationship with God. And that's important. God's building these things into the man. And then he commands the man. Don't eat from the tree." All right, so now he's teaching the man obedience, right? There's some obedience that you have to do what you're told. He's teaching him authority. I have authority over you. You need to obey me. I have authority over you. Well, he's going to need that as he goes to rule the earth. Then he says, and if you... If you do eat of it, you'll surely die. So now then he's teaching them about consequences. Okay? So see, there's a lot of things that God's doing with this man, this one man on earth. And he's, a lot of things he's building into him before he gets the woman, right? 2.18, Genesis. The Lord God said, It is
2: not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him.
1: Okay, it's not good for man to be alone. Okay, well, why didn't you just build the woman when you built the man? Just build two. He didn't do it like that. It's it's not good for a man to be alone. So now he's going to build a, a a helper that's that's suitable for him. And again, I just can't overemphasize. Now it's now the time for the woman. You need the woman to be, to understand mankind. And, but now there's not only the need for it, but it's in a, a particular time. And now's the time. And I keep on going back to all this saying, well, why do you do this? Why do you do that? I want to look, look at that now. Look, read this Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. I think this is one of the most important verses in the Bible, in my opinion, because it really tells us why God did all this.
0: For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and real to praise his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves.
1: You go back again. This is all before creation, before he even started anything. He had it all worked out and he, you were already chosen to be holy and blameless in his sight. And he already knew how that was going to happen. He predestined you before the creation of the, the earth, the, all his creation, that you would be adopted as sons through Jesus. Okay, so that was, uh, this, this was not uh, everything screwed up and then God had to adapt and overcome. No, it was his plan from the very beginning. That was his plan A. There is no plan B. And now then, why? Why did he do it? In accordance with his pleasure and will. Because he wanted to and he could. That's it. Now You you ask, well, why did he do this? Why did he do that? Because he wanted to and he could. Anything you want to ask about God, that's the answer. And for what purpose? Okay, so now he's even telling you the purpose here. To the pra- the ESB says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Okay, that's the reason. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for praise, but not general praise for just anything. Particular praise, praise of his glory. Okay, what's glory? That's when you're recognized for something you've done. You know, like the glory of receiving an award for a sports event or something. Okay, so... He's not, he's not only just wanting general praise, He's wanting praise for that glory, for what He's done. But not just any glory, a general glory, He's wanting praise for a specific glory, and that's for His grace. His grace is on display, and that's, that's the pinnacle of everything that He's done, is God's grace. And the... Manifestation, the perfect manifestation of that grace, he freely gave us in the one he loves. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is on display. And that is why God created, why God did everything that he wanted to do for the praise of the glory of this grace. Okay? Okay. Keep this scripture in mind as we go along, okay? Because you keep if you're like me, you keep wondering why and thinking about that. Remember, there's a bigger picture, and this is it, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Genesis 2, 19 and 20.
0: Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, whatever the man called each living creature that was its name so the man gave names to all the livestock the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field but for Adam no suitable helper
1: was found now wait a minute in Genesis 2.18 he says it's not good for man to be alone I'll make a helper suitable for him then 2.19 he says okay let's go name the animals why why that Again, the way God teaches is experientially, through observation, through work. He doesn't just tell him, hey, you know what, you need a helper. And he'd be like, well, okay, I believe you. But instead he says, you know, go look at all these animals. Take a look around at everything and see if you see anything missing. Or he knew that's what he would come up with. And he comes up with, hey, there's only one of me. I don't have a suitable helper. I'm not like the rest of the animals. That's really unfortunate. And so now that he knows he has a need for a suitable helper, God has taught him that, now it's time to make the woman. Okay? Now the perfect woman. Genesis 2 21 and 22.
2: So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man.
1: So now then, we'll wonder if this is significant. Why not? Okay, it's time to make the woman go back and do it like you did the man. No, no, we're going to take a rib out of the man. So out of the man comes woman. Is that significant? Yes, because that's her role, is to support him and help him, okay? And he takes a rib. Why the rib of all the bones? Why not a shin bone? Okay, why not a, a hand bone? Why not a foot bone, where you can just stomp her into submission? Is that, you know, is, the, why the rib? Is that significant? Yeah, because now he's saying, hey, side by side, you're both equal, she's right there beside you, just ha- you have different roles. You just have different roles. And then you think of the rib. What's the purpose of the rib cage? To protect all these vital organs, right? And then he's, he's like, hey, you're the protector of her. You need to protect her the way the ribs protect. So there's always something. God's always got something that he's working on that's bigger than what we see. He's establishing that they're equal, male and female, needed both, that's how he defined man. He defined them as male and female. need them both. They're equal, but have different roles. He's built something into the man before he ever gave him the woman. Now, he builds the woman. And what is she like? We go back to 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So, what's the role of a woman? The man is alone now. He's bringing the woman in so that he won't be alone. She's going to be a companion. What else? That She's going to be a a helper. He's making a helper suitable for him. And so now she's going to be a helper. She's going to be suitable for him. She's going to help him. She's going to fill in in ways that, that the man is blind to. She's going to be a lover. And I'm not just talking about sexually. She's built to love. She's a nurturer. That's this woman, Genesis 1, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Yeah, remember, be fruitful and increase in number. That's going to be hard to do without a woman. Well, a woman has a, a high position, a, a critical part in God's creation. Be fruitful and increase in number. And again, you look bigger picture, what, what kind of high position does she have where one day the woman is going to bear the Savior. Jesus, the praise of the glorious grace, uh, freely given, and the one he loves. One day she will bear him. Genesis two twenty three.
0: 23. He said, This is now bone of my bones and
1: flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman, for she was taken out of man. Okay. The man is stoked, right? And you see man's a visual creature, all you know that. Well, you can see it from the very beginning because he knows nothing. All of a sudden, here's this creature in front of him and he's like, wow, you know, she's man. She was taken out bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I'm thinking maybe here that God might not have to do as much training in this area as he had in other ones. <laughs> And I and I also wondered, wonder what the woman thought because now she gets placed there and she sees the man and like, I'm sure it was perfect, but anyway. <laughs> Genesis 2:24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Well, is this significant? See, you keep looking at everything. Is this? a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they'll become one flesh. Why doesn't it say the woman will leave? Why doesn't it say the man and the woman will leave? Okay, because now you start to see what God's built into the man, how this is going to work out, because the man's going to leave the family and start his own. He's going to have the things on board. He's got the relationship with Christ. He's been trained to be the, the provider, the protector the 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 strength you know that that that's who the man is now he goes and starts his own home and he brings the woman under him genesis 2 24 matthew 19 4 through 6 haven't you read he replied
0: that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no
1: longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So here's Jesus, and see again, we've got good precedent for going back to creation, going back to the beginning when we're trying to figure out marriage and how this should work, okay? And he goes back to the beginning, and look at what he says that what God has joined. So now you're you're seeing it that you have a man and a woman and God. That those three are what it takes to have a man. Okay? And what does that help us to be able to understand about God? He's a trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Three who's, one what. And the same thing here. Three persons, one will be united as one flesh okay so we kind of get a sense from all this about what it's like to be God right again in the image we're not God and it's, it's not exact God's perfect but at least we can kind of start to see what's going on here all right Ephesians 5 28 through 32
0: In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I am talking about Christ and the church.
1: So again, Paul's going back to the beginning, back to Genesis 1, but now he's giving us insight. He's talking about what that's really signifying is a mystery. In the Bible, a mystery is something that's been there all along, but it's just now being revealed. And that's what Paul's doing is revealing it now. Hey, the main purpose in this marriage is it's a foreshadowing of Christ ultimately coming back and marrying his church, us. See, there's always something bigger going on. There's always something deeper, more important going on. Genesis 2.25 The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is the last thing we know about the perfect man, the perfect woman, the perfect marriage, in the perfect garden is the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. it's kind of like, do we really need to know that? I mean, well, why, it just seems like a throw in. But okay, what, what nakedness in this time and in that environment was not such a big deal, you know? And it was, the, the nakedness was a symbol of purity and beauty and uh, shamelessness, those type of things. In in that world, you think, Okay, it's not even that big of a deal, okay? Where you're walking around naked and it's not, you know, there's so much else in a perfect world to notice you're not even that fixated on that, okay? Not like today, right? Now sex is sold, sex sells everything, right? And then you have porn out everywhere one click away, okay? And it's dirty and ugly and nasty, okay? But it wasn't then. So he's drawing a big distinction between how it was then and how it is now, all right? Well, this perfect situation didn't last long. Then there was the fall. The perfect man, the perfect woman, perfect marriage now destroyed, okay? Genesis 3, 1. Now
0: the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God
1: really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Notice who he targeted when Satan decided he was going to try and destroy this perfect situation that God had created. He targets the woman. She didn't follow what she should have. She could have not even entered into a conversation with Satan. She could have just said, nope, I'm not talking to you. There's my husband over there. Go talk to him. Or she could have just turned her back and walked away. Instead, she entered into this conversation. Okay? And then you look at how Satan couched this question. He's trying to sow seeds of doubt. Did God really say? So he's trying to doubt God and maybe project that God's not as good as maybe he's made out to be. All right? Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So it's not only the woman, huh? Where was the man? Right there with her. He could have stepped in and said, hey, my wife doesn't talk to snakes. And he could have have shut it down. He could have done anything, any number of things to to stop this, but he didn't. He sat right there and let her enter into this thing. And then when she actually ate from it, he was right there with her and he ate of it too. Genesis 3, 7. Then the
0: eyes of both of them were opened they
1: realized
0: they were naked. So they sewed big leaves together and made coverings for themselves.
1: All right, so now we see where the nakedness really comes in here a little bit. The eyes of both of them were Now sin has happened. So now sin, death, and shame have entered the world. didn't exist before. Now those three things have drastically changed the, the course of history. And one thing they realized in this, that they were naked. Before, they were naked and not ashamed, okay? And immediately, then they start seeing that they need to cover this nakedness, all right? Because now, nakedness, instead of representing purity and beauty and all that's good and shamelessness, now it represents sin. So, your nakedness is the physical manifestation of sin, and now that sin needs to be covered, and they recognize it immediately, and they start to sow fig leaves to, to try and cover it. And if you think about this, now you think about nakedness being a manifestation of, of our sinful condition, that uh, then circumcision makes sense, right? Because now we're, God's going to identify his people how? Through circumcision, right there on their nakedness. He's going to establish, you're my people and that's how we know. See, everything God's up to is amazing. Three nine.
0: But the Lord called
1: to man, where are you? Here we are. Now it's fixing to get real. The Lord God called to man, where are you? He walked right past the woman. He goes right for the man, where are you? Who's he holding responsible? The man. The man, who's he going to hold responsible in your marriage? The man, no matter what, if there's anything wrong in your marriage, in your family, it's your fault. You have to take responsibility for it as the man. Because one thing for sure, when God comes and when he looks at the situation, he's coming to you. It's all your fault. <laughs> Isn't that how it goes, John Mark? <laughs> it's all your fault. <laughs> that's probably going to be the cheer when God comes to call on you. All right, so that's what you've got you've to realize. That's a, that's a heavy load and a heavy thing to put on you, but it's the truth. And you need to own it. You need to accept it, and now you need to deal with it right? 321
2: The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam, and Eve, for Adam and his wife and clothed them.
1: Okay, so God looks at the situation and he says, oh you're right, this needs to be covered, this needs to be covered, but fig leaves ain't going to do it there's going to have to be bloodshed to cover this And he kills an animal, skins it, and says, there's your clothes. See, clothes was God's idea. It's not just man thinking, well, uh, I need it for the environment, or I need it because I'm modest, or it's a fashion statement. No, it was God's idea for clothes. And what clothes signify is that your sin needs to be covered. Your shame needs to be covered. And what is this? A bigger picture again. The foreshadowing... Of Jesus spilling his blood to ultimately pay for the sin, right? Always something bigger. 316.
2: To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing.
0: With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you.
1: Okay, there's curses on Satan, there's curses on the man, the curse on the woman. I'm just focusing on this for the sake of time, for the woman, okay? There's pains in childbearing and pains in birth, okay? There are birth pains. Women will tell you it is very painful to have a child, okay? And it's not like that. Most of the other animals, they have childbirth and it's not painful at all. You don't see them screaming and yelling and all that stuff, okay? But it is for a woman. But that childbearing also has a a, a root to it that that speaks of uh, uh, emotional and um, worrisome kind of pain. All right, well, that's what the woman is experiencing too. And if you think about your wife, you think about women, most of their pain in their life is gonna be wrapped up in their children and in their family. It just is, they feel it as if it's happening to them. Whatever's happening to their children, they feel it in the same way, okay? And then it says, your desire will be for your husband. Well, that desire they're talking about there is not sexual desire. That desire means control. That part of the curse is the woman is gonna wanna control you. The woman is gonna wanna be the leader, but you will rule over him, right? Right? You think about the battle of the sexes. Where'd the battle of the sexes come from? All right, and when will it be over with? If we just pass one more law, one more Title IX, Hillary becomes president, that'll surely take care of it. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the battle of the sexes is gonna be here till Jesus comes back, it, it's part of the curse. There's gonna be this tension. But look at the other part, this, both these things Overlaps into the curse on the man that you're gonna have to deal with your your wife is gonna be wanting to control you She's gonna want to be the leader. She's gonna want to be the ruler, but look He will rule over you God's declaring it part of the curse is that you're the ruler You can't escape it. You can't opt out. You might be able to say, you know, I just don't want to do it Well, okay, you're gonna be a bad ruler, but you're still the ruler And there's gonna be consequences to that. Remember, he taught us consequences. Here's the summary. I think we established that relationships are are messy once there's a marriage involved and it just continues. A godly marriage is the key to being able to cope with that. So now then somehow we gotta find in this fallen world how we can most likely look like the original design for man, the original design for woman, the original design for marriage. And when we look back at that, we see that God made man with certain attributes, for attributes for him to be the leader, the protector, the provider, etc., cetera. And he made woman with certain attributes, right? To be the helper, to be the companion, to be the lover, to be a nurturer, emotional, okay? And then God made man and woman in the image of God so that we could learn about God through all this. Because remember, with God, all things are possible. And without Jesus, we can do nothing. So the more we know about God, the more that we can be successful in dealing with these relational messes. And then to realize that marriage is ultimately a foreshadowing of the marriage of Christ and his church. How does that help? Because it gets your focus way up here, way away from what's happening down here, what's happening with you and your wife and your family and all this mess, you're looking way up here for a a bigger picture. And that that, that what we looked at was a model for marriage. We see things that are gonna be a problem. We see things that we can aspire to, even though we know we're not gonna get there. Okay, I hate to break it to you, but nobody's gonna be able to achieve that perfect design for man and woman and perfect design for marriage because we're living in a fallen world but it's good to know that that's that's how it was supposed to work. And a really amazing thing is to think back in the garden, all this, if all this would have just unfolded without any fall, all these relationships and all those designs, it wouldn't have been a problem. It would have all worked perfectly. I mean, that's mind blowing. We know that the fall broke God's original design. And now we are fallen people living in a fallen world under the influence of a powerful enemy, it's going to be difficult. So now, the third thing, remember what I was going to do is say, okay, now that we're seeing that we want to have a godly marriage and, and what's all wrapped up in that, things that we can learn and then try and apply to our lives, that now it's going to take a godly man to make this godly marriage. That's going to be the cornerstone of it because you're the leader, you're the ruler. So that's what we're going to cover this afternoon. Okay, now what I wanted to do is bring up Andy Herzer. Andy has been through the the ringer a little bit himself. You know, he's had a a divorce in his life and had to try and live through uh, marriage. And now what I asked him to do was to kind of talk about where you can see from maybe somebody else's perspective what kind of, you know, what this is like.
0: All right. I guess it's time for David to come back, right? Ready,
1: Charlie? That's all right. It just seems like this should be specially just for Kevin. You know, I don't know if I should actually use this mic, but anyway, Andy has, like I said, been through the ringer himself through his divorce and marriage, but he's been married now to Gina for how long?
2: Nineteen years.
1: Nineteen years. So... We, he came out on the other side of this and, and has has put the these biblical things into his second marriage and, mm-hmm. and had great success with it. But anyway, I want to pray for Andy and then give him a chance to speak to y'all. Lord, I thank you for Andy. I thank you for his heart. I thank you for who he is and the impact he's had on, on so many people in Murfreesboro. And we just pray that you would... Uh, calm his nerves, that you would uh, give him the words that you want him to say and that you would have all the people in this room be able to hear it and take to heart
2: what he's saying. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, thank you, David. It's the only way David and Mark could figure out how to get me to a retreat is require me to come speak. And I had a confession with my small group that I hate men's retreats. Okay, it just, I don't know why the best thing I've ever discovered in my life is one-on-one. And it's been 10, 12 years now with David that we have met. And even though my life was starting to change, the meeting and getting into God's Word and memorizing it, Not so that I can quote it, but so that I can walk it. I think it's uh, sometimes we get into keeping a score. And to give you my background, I grew up in a small little town in Indiana. If any of you have watched the movie Hoosiers, I was that really good kid. At a very early age, getting the praise from men about how good I was. And going to the barber shop and them old farmers. We haven't seen anyone like you in 30 years. You know, you can remember that praise that you would seek. And that leads me to the verse I want to start with. The two verses is John 5, 43 and 44. It says, I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. Yet another comes in his own name and you'll receive him. How can, you, how can you believe when you receive the glory from one another, but you do not seek the glory of the only God? See, um, and I, I'm going to now make, you sh- make sure that timer is set, because I have a tendency to go over time. David and Mark didn't know that, but I know you guys want to eat. But again, David said it, I've been married twice, once for 11 years, now for 19, and hopefully until I take my last breath. And I'll say this, growing up in a small town and starting to receive the glory of men, and then going to college and playing college basketball and it being fed from you how good you are, I, I loved me some me, and I loved the praise of men. And then I got into college coaching, and it just gets darker. 18 years of just digging in and trying to get there. Basketball was my trophy, and God became more and more distant in my life. when I was growing up in that little town, my grandfather, who wasn't my grandfather, my dad was 1933, 34, he was orphaned. Both his parents had passed. And this man kind of took my dad in and his family. And he owned the local Garrett Telephone Company. And he had a thing when you called, at four minutes it would beep And at five, it would be cut off. He said, every conversation should only last five minutes. So I've been given 15. I don't know what they were thinking. So, but through this first marriage, you know, I was in and out. You know, I'd go to promise keepers. I'd go and meet with these group of coaches that I knew that I was attracted to because they had the spirit of God in them. There was an attraction. there's a reason I leaned in, but see, I never went all in. So my first marriage started, trophy wife, drop-dead, beautiful blonde that everybody told me how good-looking she was. One thing about God in there, even though we got married in a church so I could appease my dad, who was a godly man, Thank God for him, too, because I know he was praying over me when I was moving further and further away. So, again, in and out of that thing, I came back from a promise keeper, and I said, Hey, babe, can we start praying together? And here's where that, what David was talking about, being a leader and responsible. I didn't know that. Had not learned that yet. She says no. So what does my weakness do? I let it go. And began to seek more and more glory from basketball than I did from that marriage. See, basketball then became even more important to me than my wife. So I take a job from UNC Asheville to Middle Tennessee State and I never heard her tell me that she didn't want to go. From home where she grew up to where I was taking her. One year later from moving there, my dad passed. Six months after that, we were divorced and fighting constantly over our kids. I was broken beyond belief. And I can remember the coach from South Quintet brought me a book. It was called The Man in the Mirror. And every night, he prayed over me. He put his hands on me and started praying that I would start seeking God. From that book, James 1.21 is the part that I... So, no, because, see, when the church doors were open, the Hersier boys were in church. I was churched all my life. I didn't have a relationship with God. But, you know, I could quote some scripture because I was in church. But, again, do not merely hear God's word and so deceive yourself. See, I deceived myself do what it says it's really talking it's easy I think for a lot of people to understand that God's our savior but the second part of it is letting him be lord over your life letting him be obedient you become obedient to what he's telling you to do god I'm awful at it it's a fight for me because you know what I said it to you earlier I love me some me And I have this vision and this sign of more of God, less of me. But the problem is I put the equal sign underneath it a lot. And I don't know why sometimes. Because I still crave the praise of men sometimes. I'm not perfect. It's hard, you guys. This this is the hardest thing. I understand why God wants us to raise our children up. In his ways, because habits are hard to break. Hard. I tell kids all the time, hard to break that habit. It's going to take a supernatural effort. And see, that's where I come to in my second marriage. I was tired of deceiving myself. And if I was going to start this second marriage, we were going to be in church. And I was going to be growing closer to God. I discovered in my small group that we went to fellowship together, and we went in fellowship, and we went through a purpose-driven life, we went through disciple One. So we were getting in God's word, we were growing together. But see the second part of that in James after the verse as I was still looking at the man in the mirror. And I could see my faults now, right? I could see my sins. But as soon as I turned away from the mirror, I forgot about them because I was still seeking some praise from men. Man, and then I met David. And see, again, I think sometimes we can read God's word and just merely hear what it's saying instead of digging deep into it. And getting hooks into you. So, again, that you're just not talking it, but I can walk it. And it wasn't until Galatians 2.20, in which all you guys are navigators, have been crucified with Christ. And going over that, it must have taken David, because I'm a little slow, months to get through this with me. But I understand now why. Because if it's not the anchor and the center of my life, this second marriage to Gina, it's not going to work. Because when I lead, I lose. Anything that I kind of try to direct now, without God being directly in the center of it, it always ends in the same wreck. That my first marriage ends in they asked me to speak it took me three or four days because I said I was going to pray about it because again I love the praise of men so today I'm going to ask you don't come up and say hey that's a great message I want to hear that because it came from him not me And I think, you know, my daughter, when we started this second marriage, we were in church, and it was a spirit-led church, I really believe. And uh, she came down one time and said, You know, up north, Dad, they play church in fake happiness. She was starting to see a difference in me. that child was seeing a difference in me because I wasn't wasn't faking it anymore. I was done with it, right? They'd see me cry, they'd see me broke. I was done hiding, trying to be that macho athlete, big time coach, what a joke. And then as I got into marriage, my son, who was younger, struggled with my new wife, mightily, struggled. He was so disrespectful, I couldn't, I I, I didn't know what to do. So I got and dug into the word, and again, the order of which my life is now, I gave to him, and it's this. And I took him in the car and said, this is what's going to happen, son. I want you to hear my order, that God comes first in my life. And then next, my wife is next. There, you're, you're not going to get between us. It, it, it's not going to happen, son. And if you disrespect her again, I will put your butt on a plane and you will go home. Anytime you disrespect my wife, see, I've started to learn the order of what God wants us to do in our lives and who that order should be. It's not you guys. I'm so thankful for the men, for the coach from South Gwinnett that started praying over me, to Brother Don at Fellowship who started to mentor me, to David. God put those people in my life, not not. I didn't put him in there. When he he puts him in there, man, whoo. Talk about squirming. Guys, I squirmed a lot early in this. And I want you to know, I'm still not perfect. My life with Gina is still not always perfect. But I know where we go now. is not to seek the praise of men. But I seek the knowledge of God to help me navigate how I'm gonna get through the storm that's gonna come in our marriage because there's gonna be one coming. So again, when it comes, I drop to my knees and then I seek his word and his guidance. You guys, the last verse is First Corinthians ten twelve, and I'm gonna close with this. Take heed, Andy, Andy. He's telling Andy this. I can tell you, he's not to, doesn't speak. To, this one speaks to me really good, and it's a David verse that he gave me. Take heed, lest you fall, because when it's Andy, it is predictable that I'm gonna fall. But when God's leading my life man to the green pastures and the still waters which we prayed over today life gets good thank you again for your time
0: thank you andy that was good i enjoy hearing people share out of their lives i know you said that was god that was presenting that message and i know it was and it was heartfelt and We can definitely take a lot away from that. So I do appreciate that, and I know we all do. Guys, it's almost time for lunch, so I want to do a few things first. Remember, this is your name tag. It has your name on it. That's why it's called your name tag. On the back is the schedule.